praise the Lord. We um, are going to begin in the uh, book of Psalms. We're back in chapter 27 or the 27th number of the Psalms. And um, brothers and sisters, um, you should have your Bibles. Hopefully you have your Bibles uh, with you. Um, if not, and you're looking at this, it is on the screen. Let's go ahead and read. Uh, Psalms 27 1 says this, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, amen. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing uh, of his word. We are moving um, a little bit further, well, we hope to move a little bit further uh, today. We were talking about in the past God's response uh, to our trouble, how God deals with that. How does God actually help us out in those areas when we when we're dealing with trouble? And uh, and we and we know that trouble is one of those things that you know there you know you don't always get an advance warning or advance notice. But we learned uh, quite a few things uh, about what it means um, to deal with that. Um, um, and we'll recap that um, shortly. What we hope to do as we um, today is move into uh, verse, um, what we hope to do is really to move into, um, into verse number uh, six is what we actually want to do. And Lord willing, we will actually um, make our way uh, into that. So we're excited um, for what God is doing and, um, and the prospects of that. But, um, but there is something that I do want to bring to our attention um, because I don't want to move uh, too, too fast uh, through this and um, skip uh, some very important things. In our last lesson, we finished our dive into the concept of trouble, okay? The biblical concept of trouble. Um, we know about that from a world perspective. I think we're probably all experts in that. Um, but we took some time to really look at this from the biblical um, perspective. And we learned that in, uh, and we learned um, in our text um, what trouble means, okay? We learned that it really means calamity, okay? We learned that that's what that actually is when we start breaking down um, that word and getting into it. We learned that it actually refers to trouble. Actually, refers to um, calamity. Okay, and that, and we learned that that calamity, so to speak. Okay, that the Bible is uh, talking about that particular um, calamity can be actually sudden. It doesn't have to be something 
um, you know, that um, that is a long time in coming and slowly reveals itself. No, that's not actually um, what 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 it is. It can it can it it can be much um, sooner. It can be much uh, quicker, or it can be all of a sudden when we start talking about that. We also learn what David meant by the phrasing in the time of trouble. Amen. And that was a good thing for us to know. Um, we under we 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 um, what he was actually talking about. We learned that there are some things God allows uh, in our life or permits in our lives, but we also learned that there are some things that God appoints and, and quiet as it's kept trouble is one such thing. Trouble is one of those things that it's not always something that, so to speak, that God is necessarily allowing. God will allow it, especially in the cases when we are just, when we're disobedient, when we're walking or we're doing things that, that we really should not be doing if we're operating in a way that we should not be operating in, brothers and sisters, we can bring trouble. That's unnecessary trouble. That's preventable tr trouble. That's trouble that does not have to be. You remember, uh, sin always has consequences, okay? The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And so death will always follow sin. Okay, and then when we talk about that, that means death, we're talking about the erosion of things or the, or, or so to speak, the leaving of, or um, the discontinuing of, of life when death starts to set in. And the wages of sin is death. Sin will bring death. It will bring erosion. It will cause things in your life that are working, that are good. When sin enters the fray, you start living in sin. I start living in sin. It will start to cause everything around you, everything around me to die off. Amen. See, it's not just the ultimate uh, um, uh, state where it, uh, or of that of either physical death or spiritual death. And that spiritual death is eternal separation from God. Okay. When the Bible talks about the ways of sin is death, that's not just talking about death in the extreme or in its finality. Okay. Both physical death and spiritual death, but it also is referring to death in the everyday life, as it, as it occurs in everyday life, meaning that it causes those things in your life to die off. Amen. Amen. No, you know, there, you know, nothing really, nothing messes up things quicker or faster than sin. Sin is a, is a very insidious thing. And brothers and sisters, we, we listen, we, we've been called and we've been set free. And we don't have to live in sin. We might have a sinful nature. Yes, we do. But the blood of Jesus Christ has set us free. And we are no longer sin, slaves to sin. What, what you, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that we don't have to live in sin. Living in sin is still a choice. And you need to understand that. Because there are a lot of Christians that think that once you are saved, that uh, there goes sin, sins dealt with. And just, just hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can still choose to live in sin. And when you and I choose to live in sin, you know what's going to happen? It's going to bring death. 
That's what it does because the wages of sin is still death. So trouble is not always something that just uh, that um, um, is not always something that God just God permits or allows. Okay, but also it is something that God also appoints, and this is something that we learn. We also learn why God uses calamity. Amen. We learn why he does that. And we learn some very important things about, uh, about that, okay? Why God uses calamity. And, be, or, and when we start talking about that, remember that calamity really means, um, it, 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 it means um, uh, that, that calamity, when we start talking about it, um, it, it, it means that trouble. And it means, uh, and, and when we define it and break it and break it down, Okay, it means misfortune. Okay, those things, and when we talk about misfortune, we're talking about things that that just don't work out. Okay, it also means sudden loss or or a loss or or a great loss, and it's just that that great loss can be sudden. So when you deal with calamity, you're talking about great loss, and you're talking, amen. You're talking about misfortune. Sometimes that can be sudden, all of a sudden, just take you by surprise. But we learned that God uses this at times. And what we learn, family, is, is, is that God uses affliction, okay, or hardship or all these things um, at times because it serves a purpose. And although it seems bad, it doesn't change the fact that it serves a purpose. And one of the uh, things that scriptures that we looked at was Psalms 119, 65, uh, um, starting at verse 65. Uh, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For what? I have believed thy commandments. Before I was what? Afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. What does that mean? It means that before the writer is saying here, Isaiah, is, the, excuse me, the psalm writer here is saying that, you know, before, before trouble started happening, I, I, you know, I was doing my own, I was doing my own thing. Before trouble happened, I was living any kind of way. Before trouble happened, I was, I, I had things going just the way that I wanted them to go. But family, the things going the way that we want them to go does not mean that it's going the way God wants it to go. And that's a problem. We've got to be in line with the will of God. And in being, and in order to be in line with the will of God, we must be found obedient be, or being obedient to the word of God. You can't be in the will of, you can't be in the will of God the way he wants you to be outside of obedience to his word. No, you're going to have to be in his word. Verse 68 said, thou art good and do what's good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, uh, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. So that's important, amen. Affliction serves a purpose, although it's bad, at, although it seems bad at times. The scripture teaches us that it serves a purpose. 
In addition to that, we also learn that God uses affliction in order to perfect us. And we saw that in Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of what? Affliction. For mine own sake, have I, have for mine own sake, will I, what? Do it. For e, for how sh should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my call, I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Amen. And that's another important thing. God, why does God use calamity or trouble at times? We know that he appoints it. But last week we talked about, we dove into why he actually uses it because he's perfecting us. He uses it. It is a tool. It is a tool. And you know what, family? I wish it wasn't a tool that he had to use. I really wish that it was not a tool that he had to use. But we just read the scripture in Psalms 119. Amen. Verse 67. What did the writer say? He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. See, it'd be nice if God could, 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 if, it, if there was any other way other than hardship and calamity at times and, and sudden loss or, or, or great loss. It'd be nice if, if God could just perfect us through other means. And don't get me wrong. God does use other means to perfect us. He does. God absolutely does. But because we are sinners by nature now, there are some aspects of us that is just plain old hard-headed. And there are some instances, brothers and sisters, there are areas in our lives where guess what? We just don't listen. God is talking. God is trying to, to, to bring us another way. God's trying to get us to, the, get us to a certain place a different way. But it's really the fact that we make it necessary. Why? Because we just won't do right. We just won't do right. God tries to reason with us. God tries to explain it to us. God tries to break it down to us. God warns us of the danger that's on the horizon or the things that, come, that are coming up at times. But sometimes that old sinful nature of ours just gets the, gets the best of us sometimes. And you know what? The end result is that we just don't listen. It's not that God's not talking, but the problem is, is that oftentimes we are not listening. So God uses affliction. And then we also learn that when it comes to this calamity and trouble that God will use at times, we also learn something else. That you got to be willing to receive the good and the bad. God uses trouble sometimes. And you got to be willing to receive that. Look at uh, Job chapter 2, verse 10. But he said unto her, now you keep in mind, Job's just lost, has, has, has virtually lost everything at, at this point. He's, he, he, I mean, stuff is going sideways for brother Job. And his wife comes in with all this rhetoric. 
And Job responds to her. And he says, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Look at that. Here's Job pressured to, 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 to get out of character, to, to act ungodly. When the whole reason why he was blessed in the first place, why? Is because he was godly. It was because he was walking in holiness. It is because he was walking in righteousness that Job was even blessed in the first place. And then all of a sudden, no fault of Job's own. We all know the story. And if you don't, I invite you to read chapters one leading up into the scripture that we just gave you in Job chapter two. Read that. I invite you to read that. Job was in trouble due to no fault of his own. He didn't have anything to do with it. This is an example of that sudden calamity or trouble that the Bible is talking about and that we have been talking about. Job didn't do anything to deserve this, so to speak. Uh-uh, no. God appointed it to him, though. God allowed this thing. God, God orchestrated it. God did this. He allowed it to happen. Yes, it, Satan came in with a request. We know that. But God said, okay. And then God gave him some limits, too, on what he could do. But watch this. So what does that mean? It meant God was in this thing. It meant God had ordained this thing. Amen. And was it, was it the best time of Job's life? Well, I would say no. And I believe the scripture agrees with that. It wasn't a good time for Job. Job didn't look like he was, he, he, he was clicking his heels and, and skipping down some road. No, he didn't. No, no, Job was having problems. Just like you and I have problems when trouble comes up. Just like you and I don't enjoy it when trouble comes up. And so Job was dealing with all, uh, was dealing with all of that. But he made a profound statement when he was pressured into acting in a way that was inconsistent with the character of a man of God, of a holy person before God, of a child of God. Shall we receive good? at the hand of God and not receive evil. Brothers and sisters, God is God. And if you're gonna serve God, you got to be willing to, to, to take everything that God has. You don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to say, God, I'm with you when times are good. That's when I'm going to praise you. That's when I'm going to lift my hands. That's when I'm going to say amen. That's when I'm going to clap, dance, and shout. It's when it all is going in my favor, and I've got the warm and fuzzies. No, it don't work like that. Why? Because God can't perfect you if he just allows only that. Uh-uh, no, it, it got, got to have, it have to be some trouble at times. I know that's not what we want to hear, but family, you need to hear it. Trouble is a tool in the hand of God, amen. And it is a mighty effective tool. Remember that psalm writer said, amen. 
in, in Psalms 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And then you go to verse 71. He said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It worked a good. It worked a good. Amen. And so those are some of the things that we talked about. And those are some of the things that were good to know. Now, verse five, the Bible says this, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, shall he hide me? Amen. The, the idea, what we learned about when we talked about this is that in the time of calamity, okay, when things fall apart, when they're just not going right, all of those sorts of things, in that particular time, at that particular juncture, we learned a couple things. We learned that God will protect us. When the Bible talks about that he's going to hide us in his pavilion and, and in the secret of his tabernacle, what all of that meant was, was that God will protect us from ourselves, from the openings that we expose to the enemy when we make bad decisions in response to calamity. When we make bad decisions, brothers and sisters, we often open ourselves up to retaliation and to uh, attack by the enemy. But when God hides us in his pavilion, what God does is, is that he protects us from ourselves and from the exposure to the enemy that we have opened up. Notice, this is not what, this is not what God's opened up. This is what we have done. Amen. When, when trouble hits. Because when trouble hits, you don't always think clearly and we make poor decisions. Amen. Okay. It, we also learned that God, the way God does this is, is by hiding us. Okay. So when he hides us, we discovered that what's actually taking place is, is that God is actually hoarding us unto himself, which basically means to collect us or to, and to store us. And we talked about that on last week. We also said that when God does, when God collects us and stores us or hoards us, because this is what happens when these are all the things that we learned when we started to break down those words, but we learned that when God does this, what he's actually in essence doing is, is that he covers us over with his pavilion. He's covering us with his pavilion. Amen. Amen. And that was good to, good to know. We also discovered that the effects of being covered in this manner. So when God does this, we learn that when God does, when God covers us in this manner, what God is actually doing is, is that he's actually obscuring, okay, you and the gate that you left open from the view of the enemy. That's what he's doing. In other words, he's throwing up a smoke screen. In other words, what he was doing, he's, he's, he's blocking the view. That's what he means. He may, he's making it difficult to see. Um, amen. That's what is happening when God does all of that. He obscures you. Amen. And the gate that you left open. So in other words, that exposure because of your actions and the way you've begun to, you've started to carry yourself in that, in that moment. What, what God is saying is that I'm going to hide you, okay? God says, I'm going to conceal you is what, is what, and so he obscures you and he obscures the opening so that that enemy can't capitalize on it, so that he can't take advantage. Look, if the enemy could see you while you're not at your best, brothers and sisters, he'd have a field day. 
if the enemy could always see you while you are not at 100%, what do I mean by that? While you are not at your best in following the word, in being obedient, in walking in, in unison and in unity to the word of God, if the enemy could see you at your worst, when you're limping along, when life has hit you so hard that you don't know whether you're going or coming, if the enemy was privy to those moments, to the moment when you were completely down, your shields were completely decimated. If he could see you in that state, if he could get to you in that state, he would do everything that he could to end you. But thanks be to God that when he covers us, hides us in his pavilion and in the secret of his tabernacle, God obscures you from the view of the enemy. And the opening that you left, he obscures that too from the enemy. And he keeps it so that he cannot capitalize on it. And at the same time, all the while he does this, and this is just how good our God is, all the while, God is doing that at the same time that God is doing all of that. He's providing a safe place for you and I where we can recover, where he can minister to us, where we can get our second wind again. Because when trouble hits brothers and sisters and it'll knock the wind out of your sails and you'll wanna sit And you'll want to complain or you'll want to leave or you'll want to abandon your post. Trouble has a way of doing that. Takes the steam out of you. That zeal and that, that fire and that determination that you had that kind of pushed and propelled you forward. When trouble hit, that calamity, when things don't work out, the way you had hope or the way you felt they needed to, sometimes that stuff can derail you and leave you hurt. And when you make decisions from that point, it's easy to get uncharacter, get out of character, start acting ungodly. Problem with that is that when we do that, we leave, we open up ourselves to the enemy. We expose weaknesses or, or areas where the enemy can attack. But thanks be to God that he knows how to hide you knows how to hide us so that the enemy, amen, cannot capitalize on us the way that he wants to. Now, we want to move into verse number six, but we, but we do need to pick up um, the last part of verse number five. Amen. And, 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 and this is, this is, this is, this is good. The, the last part of verse number five, amen. The last part of verse number five says, he shall set me upon a rock. Amen. He shall set me upon a rock. Okay. Let's talk about this for a minute. Okay. Let's talk about he shall set me upon a rock. What does that actually mean? 
because this is this is rich. This is something that and we and we and before we jump in this in, into verse six, we really don't want to leave this uh, undiscussed. The phrase uh, "He shall set." Um, within that phrase, we have the word "set." Okay, and that word "set," as you should see on your screen in the Hebrew, it is the word "rum." Okay. Uh, for those of you who do who who um, who take the next step and you do your Bible study on your own, that is Strong's number eleven thirty seven. That is also on your screen. You can look that up um, in your own time to go further into that. But the gist of it is is that it means to be uh, to be high or to be exalted. Okay, so. Um, um, you can look at it as to be uh, it, it really meaning to be um, exalted on high. Okay. Okay. You can look at it that way or exalted up high. Okay. The sense of the word is when it's used and especially as it's used in this text, the sense of the way this word is used family is that of to lift up or to take and lift upwards okay that's the sense of what it means it's the sense so basically all right rum this hebrew word for set represents really either the state of being on a higher plane i want you to keep that in mind or it represents movement in an upward direction that's basically what it means if you take all of this stuff or all of the definitions and what we've just described if you boil it all down what that word rum that word for set that hebrew word for set which is which which is rum okay what it literally represents is the state of being on a higher plane or movement in an upward direction. Now, I'm going to leave that on the screen for uh, probably for the duration. And let's really get into this because this, there, because there's a significance in this. Remember, amen. He shall set me upon a rock because David is giving a little bit more detail. And what happens here and what is happening here is that David adds another layer to what God did for him and what he does for us, amen, in his actions on our behalf in the time of trouble. Because remember, we're talking about how God responds to us in our trouble or in the time of trouble. And, and we know about he'll hide us in the pavilion, okay, and in the secret of his tabernacle. But the way that this scripture ends up is with him telling us that he shall set me upon a rock. Amen. Amen. So David is adding another layer to what God does and how God responds to us, okay, in his actions on our behalf. When we enter the time of trouble, when we deal with the time of trouble. Amen. Amen. Hiding us in his pavilion and in the secret of his tabernacle family is not all 
that God does. There's, 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 there's a little more nuance. It's, there are more nuances to it. Amen. Within his pavilion or his tabernacle. Amen. Amen. Within this, within his pavilion, okay, or his tabernacle, his actions on our behalf are literally the equivalent. Amen. I love God this morning. I just love him this morning. His actions on our behalf are literally the equivalent of him setting us upon a rock. Amen. Amen. That, 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 that literally is what it is. It is literally the equivalent of him setting us on a rock. When God hides you in his pavilion, when he hides you in his tabernacle, it is equal to him setting you on a rock. So the first thing that we got to understand then is, is what is the rock? Amen. And in understanding what the rock is, then we first have to understand that the rock in this case, okay, the rock is not a what? Amen. The rock is not a what? The rock is a who? David says he's setting, he set me upon a rock. Okay. And the rock that he was set upon is not a what? The rock is a who because the rock is a who then that means the rock has a what an identity so the question then as we further drill into it is who is the rock who is this rock that david has said has been set upon now, many of us, as we go forward, you already know the answer to it, but you're going to go through the journey with me anyway, and it's going to be good for you. Why? Because you're going to get a whole lot of scriptures that go along um, with what you already know. And that way you will be able to not just explain this to somebody else, and uh, you'll also be able to use the word of God to back it up because that's what we want. We don't want you to just be able to explain it. We want you to be able to prove it out. So the rock is a who. And that means that we now got to understand the identity of the rock. Who is the rock? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses three to four is going to help us establish the identity of the rock. Deuteronomy 32, three and four says this, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without inequity, just and right is he. All right. Who is the rock? Amen. Look at Psalms 18, 31. Bible says this, for who is God save the Lord? 
Amen. Amen. And notice that that Lord is, 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 is capitalized. That's the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. It's what that's talking about. That's then a word. That's the official name. When that, 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 that means, and you saw that also in Deuteronomy too. So when we talk about that's the covenant name, when we see Lord in all capital, capital uh, letters like that, that refers to the covenant name of God. What does that mean? That means that's the name God signed a contract with. When God goes, because a covenant is a contract. And so when he uses that name, this is the name, what we say was a covenant name of God. We're saying that this is the name that God used. This is the name that God identified himself with. Amen. When making or establishing his covenant. Amen. So, it, so if you think about it, if you got to go and sign some, uh, if you're, you know what I'm saying, if your name is Richard and you're going to go sign some legal documents, right? Amen. Well, even if you go by the name Rich or some other name, when you go sign those legal papers, guess what you're not going to sign? You're not going to put rich. You are going to put Richard so-and-so. You are going to put your legal authorized official name. Well, that's the same thing when we that we're talking about when we see the covenant name of God. We're talking about that, 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 that this is the name in essence. You can think of it as in line, and you can think of it like the name being used to sign a covenant or a contract. And this is what you see, especially in the Old Testament. Psalms 18.31, again, says, for, for who is God save the Lord? So we know, in other words, God is Yahweh. That's what he's telling us. That's who, the, that's who the Lord is. The Lord is God. God is the Lord. Now watch this. Who is a rock save our God? Uh-oh, glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. Look at, what he, look at what he's saying. Look at what he says. Now, look at Psalms 118. I want you to look at verse 21, and you're going to go to verse 23. Psalms 118, verse 21, verse 23, because we're establishing the identity of the rock, because David said he set me on a rock. So we need, to know, we need to know who that is. We need to know exactly who that is. Why? Because the rock is not a what? The rock is a who. And if the rock is a who, then the who has an identity. So we got to establish who the who is. Amen. Glory to God. Psalms 118, look at 21, 23. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Uh-oh, it's getting good. The stone which the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, if we take Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, Psalms 18 and 31, and then we take Psalms 118, verses 21 through 23, this is what we get the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that God is the rock. That's what the scriptures is teaching you. Amen. God is the rock. Who is the rock that David was set upon? The, the rock is God. The rock is Yahweh. Amen. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is the first and he is the last. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the great I am. He introduced himself to Moses when Moses asked him for a formal name. Lord, who am I going to tell these people? Send me, he said, tell them I am. Have sent thee. I am that I am. 
That is who the rock is. And that's who David was set upon, but we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. Oh, not by a long shot. So God is the rock. Now, if God is the rock, now we got to now, now, now we got to establish some things about God. How many gods make up the rock? Because there's a whole lot of people confused about all this. So we might as well straighten all that out and give you the scriptures that you need to be able to prove this out. Amen. How many gods make up the rock? Because we just learned that God is the rock. And there are a whole lot of people running around with a whole lot of different gods. So now if God is the rock, we got to establish how many gods make up the rock. Well, Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So although we have a whole lot of people running around with a whole lot of different gods, in light of the fact that God is the rock and the world seems beholden by all of these many different gods, and let me add false gods, by the way, amen, that makes it necessary for us to, to have to establish how many gods there actually are. Because if God is the rock, does that mean that all gods are the rock? Well, the answer is no. Why? Because there's only one God. Let me read that again. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. Okay, but brother Walker, what, 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 well, 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 we, you know we're going to have to talk about Jesus. So, so I'm going to need you to make that a little bit more plain. I hear Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says one, but 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 we're gonna have to explain Jesus too. We're gonna have to get into it because I, I've heard some things. So 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 does Jesus agree with that? How many how many did he say? I'm glad you asked. Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 29. And Jesus answered him: the first of all the commandments is what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One. Lord. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So we have the Old Testament. Glory to God. Glory to God. We got the, 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 the writer of Deuteronomy. We got him saying, Moses breaking it down to us and explaining to us, to the children of Israel then and to us today. There's only one Lord. And then here comes Jesus. Not overriding that, not doing something different, and not coming up with something new, but confirming the same thing. There's only one God. There is only one God. Amen. Amen. Well, 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 but what but can there be some? But I mean, I hear what you're saying. Yes, Jesus, you know, he says it too, he confirms it too. But but can there be anyone else? I mean, are we sure about this? Isaiah 42. Look at verse number eight. We may get it plain. Can there be anyone else? And I'm only asking because, you know, I heard this and I heard that. And I mean, I know what you're saying. And Jesus said this. And I know that that Moses and all of these different things. But are we are we sure uh, about that? Because, I, 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 you know, because I mean, I heard this and that. 
Can there be any? No. The answer is absolutely no. Isaiah 42, 8 says this. I am the Lord. Uh-oh, there's that covenant name. There's that official name. Amen. There's that contractual name. I am the Lord. That is my name. Glory to God. I mean, that's a sermon all in that. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Do you hear God talking? Do you hear God, 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 God talking? He says, I'm not giving my glory to anybody else. I'm not giving it to anybody else. That means I'm not sharing it. That means I'm not loaning it out. That means, do you hear what I'm telling you? The answer to is, can there be anyone else is going to always be, according to the Bible, no. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. What does that mean, my glory I will not give to another? That means God says, Everything that belongs to me, I'm not giving any of it to anybody. Ooh, glory to God. Glory to God. I hope you caught that, family. I hope you caught that. I really do. He says, my glory. When God talks about his glory, he's talking about what belongs to him. And we just established that the rock is God. That is a title family that belongs to God. And what he's saying is, is that I'm not giving it to nobody else. It's my, it's, it's my glory. It's mine. Amen, 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 amen. So where then does Jesus come into the picture concerning the rock? Because remember, David said, he has set me upon a rock. Amen, amen. And we know that the rock is God. But now when we fast forward to today, we can't have a conversation about the rock without having a conversation about Jesus. We got to talk, we got to define this. We got to understand this. So where then does, does Jesus come into the picture concerning the rock? Jesus, you got to understand this, is not also the rock, but rather he is the rock. Uh-oh, 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 that's saying something, because that is saying that he's God, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Amen. Glory to God. I don't even want you to, I don't even want you to be, no matter where you are, what time of day you listen to this, and where you are in the world, I don't want you to leave this, this lesson without a clear statement of regarding the identity of Jesus, because a conversation about the rock cannot be a conversation that is had devoid of Jesus. He absolutely is a part of the conversation. Jesus is not also the rock. Amen. And you get a lot of people who teach that. Uh-uh, you got that wrong. Your doctrine is wrong. He is not also the rock. He is the rock. Glory to God. When you say he also the rock, you're saying that he's the rock along with somebody else. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. He is the rock, not also the rock. He is the rock. 
Look at Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12. We, I told you we're going to prove this out. We're going to prove all of this out. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which is which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let me read that part, the beginning. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. No, notice what the apostle says. This is the stone, talking about Jesus, which, is, which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Uh-oh, glory to God. Go back up to Psalms 118. 21 and 23, because the apostle just said that Jesus is that stone. But in Psalms 20, 118, 21 through 23, look at verse, look at verse 21. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Talking about God. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous. In our, so in, in the Old Testament, we find out that's God. But when you get to the New Testament, the apostle said it's Jesus. Uh-oh, glory to God. Look at 1 Corinthians. We ain't done with it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at verse 2. Let's go to verse 4. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ uh-oh 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 do you see it do you see it are you now seeing how the scriptures tie together? That rock was Christ. We just read in the Old Testament, the rock was God. And now we get all the way to the New Testament. God, starting with Jesus first confirming that there's only one God. Amen. Amen. That's what we did. That's what we did. Mark 12, 29. Here, this is, that was Jesus talking. He confirmed, number one, there's only one God. That's what he did. Then the apostle told us in Acts that he was the stone that the builders rejected, that they refused. And he became the head of the corner. But in Psalms 118, we were learned that that was God. Then you went into Corinthians. And Corinthians told us, 1 Corinthians told, chapter 10 told us very plainly, that rock was Christ. Amen. Amen. So then what do we have?
this is what we have. God, the identity or the rock's identity is as follows. God is one. And the one God is the rock. Let me say that again. God is one. There's only one God. There is only one God. And the one God is the rock. Because, next point, God is one and he alone is the rock. That's what we learned. It also means there is only one true rock. This is why all the other false deities and false gods out there, they can't be the rock. There's only one true rock. Why? Because there's only one true God. Amen. And God is not a pantheon of gods. Okay? Uh-uh. No polytheism here. No belief in many different gods. No. There is only one God. And because there is only one God, and God is the rock, that means there is only one true rock. Amen. Point three, the one God who is the only true rock came down to us. This is where you get the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And I invite you to read Isaiah 7 and 14, and Matthew 1 and 23. That's going to prove that out for you. That's going to talk to you about Emmanuel. The one God who is the only true rock came down to us. God with us and became our salvation. Not only did he become our salvation, he was given a name above all other names. Amen. And that name is Jesus. And for that, you want to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. That's going to help you prove all that out. Amen. Amen. That's going to help you prove that out. In addition to that, Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 11 and 12. Those scriptures are going to help you prove that out. Amen. You need to make sure you know that. Point four, the true identity then of Jesus Christ is that he is actually the one true rock. Why? Because he is in actuality the one true God. Amen. 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 And point five on that, there is only and can only ever be one true rock. A title, and that's a title that can only be applied according to the scriptures, especially that we just looked at. That is a title that can only be applied to the one true God. 
Remember, God don't share his glory. Everything, and that meant everything that belonged to God. Everything that belonged to him. And that includes his name. Amen. That title can only be applied to the one true God. And since Jesus has the title of rock, and we just saw that, amen, amen. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We saw that in verse number four. Amen. Since Jesus has the title of rock, then the only way he could have it, since God ain't going to share it, is if he were in actuality the one God himself. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly the case. So when God, so when David says, he shall set me on a rock, David was saying that when he hides me in his pavilion and in his tabernacle, what he does is, is that he sets me on himself. And we, and I told you, it wasn't just for David, but it was for us also. When he hides us, he sets us on himself. He sets us on Jesus. And when we say he sets us upon Jesus, we're really just saying he sets us on God. Amen. And when we say that he sets us on God, we are in essence saying he sets us upon himself. Now, the interesting thing about this, and I love it, is remember that the word set means to be exalt, exalted or to be high. And I told you that it basically means a state of being on a higher plane or, 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 or movement in an upward direction. So what in essence David is saying is, is, is that what God does or how he hides me and how he in his pavilion and in his tabernacle, the way he does it is by taking me to another level in himself. Glory to God. I'm trying to tell you that in the time of trouble god will take you to the next level god will cause you to level up in the midst of things breaking down burning down falling down and unraveling god says i will hide you in my pavilion i will hide you in the secret of my tabernacle that's the holiest of holies the place that can't nobody get to and i'm gonna do it because i'm setting you on another place in another level in me meaning that i'm bringing you closer and closer to me and that is what david was talking about when he said he shall set me upon a rock amen brothers and sisters i am going to end the recording here wow.